Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Bonnie Gray. Bonnie is on the show today sharing her memoir titled Sweet Like Jasmine. It is a profoundly moving account of how God uses our unique and broken stories to create a beautiful mosaic of His love, one life at a time. Join us to find freedom, hope, and healing in rewriting your story of faith. Hello, Bonnie. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Rachel, it's so good to have a virtual cup of coffee with you. It is. You're showing me your cup of coffee and I'm wishing I had one of mine. I have some bottle of water. I have a bottle of water over here. Um, you know, I was sharing before the interview started, you and I have a mutual friend, Becky Keefe, who I've had on um, as well. And you were saying, you know, she is as genuine and as kind in person as she is um, virtually for, for me, because you all are both encouraged writers. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Well, so you have actually just written a memoir titled Sweet Like Jasmine about a deeply personal journey. And so I just want to just say, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I know it's not an easy journey to share. Uh, So uh, would you begin by sharing what you remember about growing up as a Chinese American daughter? And and something that you say is that you, you spent your childhood Uh, hiding Chinese Bonnie so that you could be accepted as American Bonnie. So just kind of take us back to uh, this time as as a child. You know, it's very interesting for me to uh, tell you the story because I was born in San Francisco, Chinatown. And my mother was a mail order bride from Hong Kong. And what's interesting even more is that my mother was 18 years old when she had me. She didn't know my father until the day that she met him to be married to him. And she was chosen among eight children um, because they were born below the poverty line. They lived below the poverty line in Hong Kong. They were refugees from communist China. And so Hong Kong is a British colony that isn't under communist rule. And we've heard about that in the news, you know, recently about protests, you know, because the Hong Kong people want to be free. Well, my mom was chosen to marry my father, who was a busboy in a noodle shop in Chinatown. And so um, my mom flew here. And that's when a few months later, nine months later, she had me. And so I am Chinese American. And growing up for me was a very odd experience because when I stepped through the doorway, Rachel, I was at school and I was American Bonnie. I would talk about what other kids talked about, would play the games that we all grew up playing. And when I turned on the TV, it was Bert and Ernie, you know, Sesame Street, everybody spoke English, but in my home, everyone spoke Chinese. When I went shopping in the groceries, and if anybody, you listeners, you've been to Chinatown, maybe in your area, Everything's in Chinese. You don't have to know English in order to uh, live a life. And so at home, I was Chinese, Bonnie. And the people that I lived with at home, my family, they didn't understand my life once I went to school. So I always felt split. I always felt there was never one place where I was whole. And so I didn't realize this until I started sharing this with my readers and my listeners, kind of pieces of my story 
because it was only later when I became a mom, Rachel, that I stumbled on my birth certificate. I don't know about you. Have you ever looked at your birth certificate certificate that closely? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Well, neither did I, you know, so I was just looking, I just had two baby boy. I, I had one baby boy and I already had a three-year-old. So any mom knows once you have that second baby, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to put this older child in a preschool to make popsicle <laughs> stick art for a few hours. Oh, Even yeah. that two hours of sanity, I'll take it two hours, two times a week, you know? So I was searching for his birth certificate, you know, in order to register him. And I accidentally ran across my own. I guess, you know, when you're a new mom, you just don't even remember much. You're like in a fog. I just, I just threw his birth certificate in this file cabinet. And then as I was looking for it, I ran across my own and I looked at it and it said, born in a Chinese, in Chinese hospital in San Francisco, Chinatown. And I was like, why is this hospital named Chinese hospital? Like I suddenly, the storyteller me got really curious, you know, I love novels. So I was like, mystery, mystery. And I found out that Chinese hospital is the only hospital in America that's named after an ethnicity. And then I looked a little further and it said um, that my mother's resident was the same street as the hospital. Gosh, that seems really interesting. I said, I realized I've never even seen my childhood home. Once we left Chinatown, and especially once I got married, um, and you'll learn more about my story, listeners and Rachel, but um, I, I actually did not want anybody to know I was born in Chinatown, that my mother was a mail-order bride. I, I don't like that history. And my father left when I was seven years old. And so, oh, great. There's another thing now that makes me weird and odd. So even when I went to church, even though I went to church and it was a very loving community, I still felt different from everybody. Everybody had beautiful, loving families. Everybody talks about Christmas and Thanksgiving, how families are gathering. And my family was not like that. I didn't have a big gathering because my mom came here, right? All by herself here. And, um, I don't have, you know, a father. And in fact, my mother didn't celebrate Christmas. So, you know, it's just kind of all these different family culture things that are so different. Um, I just found myself always kind of listening to others, observing life and always wishing one day, I just want to be like normal, quote unquote. And so um, that was kind of like my, my ideal. It's like, okay, I always felt like I had to pursue do pieces of my identity in order to feel like, okay, I am a woman of faith, or I am like a mom, like everybody else, or, okay, I'm a college student, or, you know, fill in the blank, every kind of stage in my life, I kind of went through that, always trying to figure out, okay, what, what is it that normal people do? <laughs> that, that was my journey. I always felt different, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so in, in college, you were actually sexually assaulted by a guy in your Bible study. And I think that that is um, particularly important to state that there, we really do need to always kind of be on guard, uh, no matter where we are personally and, and for our, our children as well. But uh, because of this experience and the trauma of your childhood, as an adult, you struggled with mental health issues, panic attacks, anxiety, and depression. 
So Bonnie, was there an epiphany moment or a turning point for you um, that, that your story started to, to change? Well, that was what was really odd because, um, you know, I did everything right because I wanted to have a life that glorified God. I did um, know God at an early age, eight. I was an early reader. So the story of Jesus was just so compelling um, because I, I read a lot. I didn't expect when Jesus was betrayed by his friends, I thought, okay, I know what's going to happen. This is when um, the protagonist is going to stand up and reveal his true identity. And he's going to tell everybody, hey, I'm the son of God. And everybody's going to be hands off. And then, you know, but then he died and then he was condemned. Like that just shocked me. Like I had never read a story like that. And that really resonated with me because the scene that grabbed me um, when I was young was he was really alone. He was crying alone in the garden. Nobody understood him. And he asked the heavenly father, my heavenly, well, now my heavenly father, like, why? Like, I heard the why behind his, can there be another way? The message translation says, can there be another way? We read it as, you know, can there, I don't want this cup, this cup's too hard. And I really felt he understood me because I always ask that, like, why? Like things that happened in my life, why does this have to happen? Why does it have to be my life? And so first my father left, right? He never came back, never wrote. Even other people that were divorced from divorced families, at least they saw their father. Like my father never came back, Rachel. So like, that's another why, you know? So when I went to um, college, I was like, did everything correctly. I never had a boyfriend in high school. This was a Bible study leader. Uh, this was somebody that we had known. Um, you know, he was safe according to me. And I grew up below the poverty line. Like I have street smarts. Okay. I'm not some person that fell off a turnip truck, but <laughs> bad things happen to women of faith through no fault of my own. And, you know, we won't go into the details of it, but it's in my book. And I, I actually struggled whether I wanted to put it in the book because my book is not about sexual assault. And there's that fear, you know, kind of like when we hide our stories, we actually, there's a, there's a shame that we carry, even though I knew God forgave me. It's, you know, he's washed me pure. His blood is pure. And I have that, you know, I told myself, Hey, it's a second virginity. I don't need to tell anybody. This is just between me and God and my future husband. Like, why would I want to put it in the book? But you know, the Holy spirit kept putting it on my, my heart because he said, well, you know, if I, Jesus, I'm not afraid to be with you. I call you my daughter. And through no fault of your own, this terrible thing happened to you. Someone needs to, your story is going to speak to someone. And it might not even be about sexual assault in college because it's really about losing our voice. It's also about being violated, our boundaries, our body. And so women, Christian women of faith have done nothing wrong, can be abused by their husbands, whether it's verbally, physically. Um, it can be by our children, even in fact. You know, as I go and I speak, I've been doing soul care for the past 10 years in my ministry. And even before this book came out, women would confide in me. I'm afraid of my children, my grown children. I'm afraid of my young child who is very violent, who, you know, has tempers, throwing things through the window. 
um, there are all these stories that we struggle with and yet we're afraid to share them because people might think we're not good mothers, we're not good wives, there's something wrong with my family. It's like this sense of shame. So I put it in there. And in fact, you know, I love the, the name of your podcast. You know, how can we be a love offering? Because there was a point when I had to decide that whether I'm going to share these stories with my children, when would I share them? So before God put it on my heart to share these stories of my journey um, of going back, I had to try to find my father. I was telling you, Rachel, that um, I stumbled on my own birth certificate and it dawned on me, the turning point. There are many, but this is one of them, Rachel. I realized one day my sons are going to grow up, Josh and Caleb. I named them Josh and Caleb to represent and symbolize and remind me I'm building a new story. And remember I was telling you, I didn't like my old story because it was so broken. At the time, I thought that my face was only to be used to create a new story out of blank. Like just forget about the past, just erase it all. I used faith as an eraser. At the time when you go through something hard, God gives us the grace to push through, survive, and put those hard situations to the side. But what I learned, because I started having panic attacks as a mom, when I'm safe and in a loving marriage, I started having anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. I learned that our bodies were not created to hold on to that kind of strength indefinitely. So once I got that birth certificate, I realized, you know what? I don't want my children to grow up with missing pieces in their story. I don't want my sons to grow up and not know where is grandpa. They're going to ask me one day, where's grandpa? When did we come to America? And I have no idea. I had no idea <laughs> because my mom never told me. My mom is very emotionally abusive, verbally abusive. She wasn't physically, but she was emotionally abusive. She said, look, if you don't have anything positive to say, just keep it to yourself. Okay. I don't need any of this drama. Um, in fact, when uh, my father left the morning, she left, my mother was cutting up photos um, of my father. And he said to, she said to me, here, she handed me a pair of scissors and said, start cutting up his photos. I don't want any photos of him. You know, I didn't even know why he left. I, I was so afraid to ask. And so as we're cutting up these photos, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have any photos when my father left. So I tried to hide one photo behind me and she caught me. She caught me trying to hide that photo. She said, what are you doing? I said, you're not in this photo. I'm not in this photo. Can we just keep one? She said, no, why? You like him so much? Okay, fine. She dragged me, dragged me over to the phone. This is back in the day when phones were <laughs> on our <laughs> walls with the cord. And she said, go pack your bags. You like him so much? Fine, you go live with him. I'll go call him right now. Right then and there, Rachel, I wiped the tears off my face. I stopped crying. And I said, no, I don't need to know. Well, don't ever ask me anything about him. As far as I'm concerned, that, that man is dead. And so, you know, those are the kind of vows we make to ourselves when we're strong, you know, to get over those hard times. And God, by his grace, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just human. That's survival, you know? emotional survival, you know, so you get a bad phone call, <laughs> you have something 
that happened to you earlier in your life, you're like, okay, I'm just going to put it to the side. Well, I didn't know until I was safe in a loving relationship, starting a new family. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a Christian author. You know, I'm speaking, you know, oh man, I, I felt like I had a big exhale. Woo, I had my second baby. I've made it. I've made it. I've arrived out of this like messy, broken life. Now I can have this beautiful, faith-filled life that looks this way. Nothing broken in this picture. And definitely started having panic attacks. Mm. And uh, I didn't know why. I, I, was, I didn't want anybody to know. So I secretly went to uh, see a therapist. I went to the top dog. He's in charge of 100 different Christian counselors. And I thought, okay, let me just tell you what the symptoms are. I'm waking up every two hours choking from panic attacks. I'm sleeping. I'm not even worried. Uh, sometimes I just wake up and my thoughts are racing. I don't know why. I'm fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home mom. I had already worked for 15 years. I was, uh, I got fell in love later in life in my thirties. Another why, by the way, <laughs> like, why am I still single? Why, you know? So many wise. Um, and then he said, oh, within a minute, he said, Bonnie, you have PTSD. And I said, PTSD, I'm not a soldier. I've never been physically abused. I've not seen violence. And he said, well, did you know that emotional abuse and verbal abuse has the same impact? It has the same effect on your body as somebody who's physically beaten. Mm, wow wow, that changed my life. Because, you know, anytime I grew up the sunny, cheerful, optimistic child, I, that's the role I took on. I'll help anybody. I love everybody. I'll take care of everybody. Because I just felt that's the main way that I can bring light into the world with God's love. You know, my role as an encourager. And in that moment, I never thought that all those things I put away that I thought you know, was using my face, you know, to be strong. Wow. It actually was affecting my body. So I said, but I was still in denial. I said, well, well why is it happening now? Like I read the Bible, I pray, I listen to worship music. I'm a Bible teacher and I'm really close to God. You know, it's like this fear we sometimes have if we, if we have anxiety or depression or anything that's off, we're afraid to tell anybody. We're afraid people will think that, you know, our, we don't have a good relationship with God. And so it's like, I was almost like defending myself, you know, because thinking he might say that. And he said, well, Bonnie, did you, sorry, I'm just taking a sip of water. <laughs> he said, did you know a soldier doesn't experience panic attacks when he's on the battlefield? He's strong. He's helping everybody. He's so resourceful. He's so like problem solver. When does he experience panic attacks? Wow, after, yeah. When he comes home, after. When he comes home, when he's safe. And so he said, Bonnie, it's because you're safe. It's the opposite. You think you're afraid it's your faith, but it's because your faith is strong. It's because you've overcome hard things with God. Now God wants you to use your faith to heal. God wants you to use your faith to take better care of yourself. God wants you to let go of all those roles and responsibility that you took on, but you don't need to carry anymore. God wants you to take a look at those things that aren't and weren't working 
that hurt your heart when you were alone. And so part of this journey was looking back at all the broken pieces of my life. And then God saying, I'm going to rewrite them with you. First time you lived through them, you had to survive it. I'm going to go back now and I'm going to whisper to you my words of love, my words of comfort, my words of peace. And that was a big turning point because at, up until that point, I was very ashamed. But once I heard God's voice, when he said, now it's time for you to heal and that you did good, I realized, ah, God, you're sending me on this new mission field. I was a missionary in my twenties. And I always, like I said, always thought faith had meant, you know, only the mountaintop experiences. Now I realize, okay, God, you're leading me into the valley. I will go wherever you want me to go, Jesus. As long as you're with me, you help me heal. You show me what you want me to learn. And I will share with anybody and everyone what you teach me in the valley. That was my prayer. I didn't know because I asked a therapist. My third question was, how long would this take? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'll be better tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Okay. What I need to do, let's get the program in, you know, because I'm, I'm also, you know, I put myself through college, you know, it's like a typical, like, you know, achiever, overcomer mm -hmm. type personality. It's like, okay, all right. How many appointments is going to take? You know, can I double up on it? You know, and he's <laughs> like, mm, no, not really. That's not how healing works. You know, I was just very innocent. And then, but I said, okay, God, if it takes years, then, Hey, I'm not going to waste this time. Whatever you show me, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to share it. And so that was how God used and it became my life message. Now this is all I do is I do soul care because prior to that, I had no idea. Like if you tell, talk to me about like how to take better care of yourself, how to put yourself in priority. I'd be like, the, you know, that's flu, 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 flu stuff. You know, that's for people that, you know, have this beautiful luxury type life. Like that's not me. Like good for you, girl. Praise God. I'm glad you have <laughs> right. that going on for yeah. you, but you know, I just didn't relate to it, but so it was almost like learning a foreign language, like soul care, uh, what gives me joy. I mean, I wouldn't even know what to do with my time because anytime I would have, I'd be like, you know, how to serve, uh, what can I do to help others? Or um, if I did have some free time with some friends, like I'm the kind of girl that was like, let's go where you want to go. I, I'm happy to eat anything. You know, I don't even have a preference for restaurants, you know? that's kind of me, but I, I wasn't being fake. I mean, I truly just was content with anything, but God was rewriting my identity because God was saying, Bonnie, that's not contentment. That's hiding. Mm. Okay. That's not serving me. That is um, neglecting your joy. That isn't who I made you, but you know, it wasn't a shameful voice. It was a very gentle voice. It's almost I write about it in the book because I had to go find my father, you know, once I told you that is I wrote it like a mystery because it really was a mystery novel to me. Like, okay, where is my father? Why did he leave? Why did my mom forbid me to go find him? My mom said to me, if you ever go look for him, I'm going to move away with your sister. You won't find him. She's like, do not look for your father. So as I kind of went back and I had to unravel all these family secrets, I had to open my heart and I named it sweet like Jasmine because in the Chinese um, tea, the Jasmine tea is the most fragrant and popular tea in China and in Chinese culture. And it's so beautiful. The, it's called dragon Jasmine pearl tea. 
If you ever order it, friends, you love tea, please order one so you can see how fragrant and sweet it is. But it starts off as a tight bud that's closed. And it can only open if it's under warmth of a heat, of heat water. And I just saw that that's the journey God was taking me through. My whole life, I've been closed, meaning I hide all the stories that, you know, were hard for me. And I thought my faith was used to get over them and forget about them. <laughs> but God was saying, no, I want you to share, open your life. And first for yourself, just like a beautiful jasmine tea flowers. I want every woman who reads this book to know that your story matters. How you feel matters. The struggles that you've been through, it's beauty out of brokenness. And actually that's what makes it makes it so special. That's, those are the stories that shaped your faith and we need your stories. There's a woman that's going through the valley that you've walked through. And if you're in the valley right now, you need to share your story because there is someone else who will listen, someone else that can come alongside you. And, um, you know, talk about a turning point. Once I just finished this book in April and um, I actually wasn't sure if I could write it because it was written during the pandemic with two kids, distance learning. <laughs> Our whole world, as you know, was upside down. I mean, I was just, it was so hard to write. I'd never written with two kids at home, but by God's grace, I finished it. And I, I had to read these stories to my children. And I said to my boys, they're teenagers, 13 and 15. And I said, okay, boys, there's those stories about your mom that are going to be out in the world. And you know me as your mom. But I want to share some stories with you of who I am as a little girl and who I am as a woman of faith. Now, I originally was going to share these stories with you later when your parents, yourselves, and I think maybe you'd understand them more. But because these stories can be out there, can I read one of these stories with you? And if you feel like, okay, mom, that's TMI. Okay, thank you. But I'll read it later when I'm older. But I just want to spend at least one story with you. And then if you're interested, I'll read the other stories to you. So at that time, Rachel, I had never spoken these verbally, you know, as an introvert, extrovert, meaning I love being with people, but the time, the way I grow close to God is through like quiet time. I like to journal. I like to write. I like to read scripture and take walks, but I wasn't sure what my children would say because they're teenagers, they're boys. I, I thought they would be like quiet. Maybe they'd be like, Ooh, I, I didn't want to know that about you, mom. Uh, you really shouldn't have told me that, but I started to tell the most difficult one first because I wanted to, uh, break any old, uh, vows of silence and shame. It's interesting. I was a missionary in my twenties to a uh, troubled youth. And I would have no problem talking about my sexual assault situation to strangers, <laughs> to teenagers, because I, I want them to know, hey, this could happen to you. It's important. If it does, you need to tell somebody, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed. But it's, it's so different when it's like my own children. Yeah, yeah. So um, I didn't know what happened, but I told them the story and they were sitting there and um, they, I, I didn't expect my youngest son, Caleb, came over to me and he said, mom why didn't you tell us this before? This is terrible. I'm so sorry this happened to you. And he was crying because it was just so terrible for him to hear this happen to their mom, but he hugged me and I didn't expect him to have that response. Then my son, older son, Josh, he's more of an introvert. He was quiet. 
And so this is another practice I learned is that, you know, I grew up with a lot of silence in my home and told to be quiet and silence to me is like actually kind of emotionally scary for me. And so I've had to learn to ask. So I said to Josh, hey, Josh, you're very quiet. Just let me know. It's okay if you're not comfortable. Maybe you don't like this story about me. Because I, I thought, I felt the shame I felt as a college student, which was maybe he felt shameful that his mother, you know, went through that. But he said, mom, no, I, I'm just amazed. Wow, I would have never known that happened to you because you're such a loving mom and you're so joyful. You're so excited to encourage people. Wow, God is amazing. Mm. And you put this in the book? You know, he's a teenager, right? So he, you know, he's sensitive to how people care about him, right? Normal. And he said, you putting this in the book? Wow, so many people are gonna be helped. I'm so proud of you. Mm. He's like, that takes a lot of guts. Well, he didn't use guts. He said, you're very brave. Wow. Oh my gosh. That was a sacred moment. Like how, how much generational silence and shame was broken right there. I earned so many credibility points with my sons in that moment, because, you know, I think that they know now they can talk to me about anything. There's gosh, there's so much in what you just said that moves me um, emotionally. I love their responses. Uh, what amazes me so much is that, well, I'm, I'm interested, when did you first develop a relationship with the Lord? Because it is seems so sweet, <laughs> to use your words, that um, he has been with you for so long and that you, he has shaped your personality um, to be so generous and so loving and so kind. So I, I guess that's my first question. When did you first meet the Lord? Because it was your mom a believer as well? You know, my, I, during this time, I grew up in the seventies. I was a teenager, teenager in the eighties. So it still connects me <laughs> to the, you know, my younger sisters, because, you know, eighties is part of our background, but uh, my, uh, there weren't that many Chinese Americans in California, even, you know, right now, California is very diverse, right? But um, even back then, there are very few Chinese Americans. So once they moved away from Chinatown, um, the first place a lot of Chinese people went and immigrants go is to church. Okay. Because that's where people speak their language. But um, that's when I first heard the gospel. And it was interesting, like I was telling you, the way they, usually I just was really bored during church service because back then there were no children's ministry. All the kids sat in the back of the church. So I had no idea what they were talking about. You know what I mean? All the church Christianese words. And I was just kind of waiting. So it'd be over. I can eat like donuts and, you know, have cookies, you know, in the quad, you know, at church and just talk to my friends and play. But one day, one night, in fact, it was the evangelical meeting. Um, there was a guest speaker and this person, and this influences why the way I write the way I do, he was just talking. He was a young guy, just talking normal, what I call talking normal. <laughs> And he just started telling this story about there was this prince, you know, once upon a time, of course, my ears perked up, there was a prince and he tried to like interact with the people, but they, because he was a prince, everybody would just kind of like bow down to him and they would never, you know, be themselves. And so this prince decided to go in disguise and be a commoner and um, he became their friend and um, just, he loved them and helped people. 
And so, you know, I'm a reader, like I was telling you, I was just following along. And that's when this prince that was incognito undercover, you know, was blamed for a crime. And that's when I thought he was going to speak up. And I thought his friends would help him, but everybody left him. And that just really struck me. And I get emotional thinking about it because I felt alone. So the Jesus that I, I was connected to was the lonely Jesus. I didn't believe in Jesus because he rose from the dead. I mean, praise God, he rose from the dead. So he's alive. I mean, that was good news to me, but it was because Jesus was crying alone in the garden. And as a little girl, I cried a lot alone in my bed. And as you know, so Jesus was really personal. I said, okay, God, if there is a God in this world and you're real, then it has to be you. Why would you cry alone? And so the preacher, you know, said, well, it's because he, Jesus loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be with you when you feel alone. So you don't have to be alone. And that moment is still very real to me. And that's why it's my life message that every moment where I feel like God is remaking you, I know if I share that story, someone's going to feel they're not alone. You and I are letters of Christ, Rachel. Listeners, you and I are living letters of Christ. We have been given the voice of Christ, but it's only spoken through our story because it says you are a living letter of Christ. It's only shaped by your experiences. So where you were born, where you grew up, where you went to college, um, what happened to you as a mom, your pregnancy, or maybe your infertility, uh, maybe, you know, whatever it is, it, I wrote this in the book, it says, God wants to walk you around in the world and show somebody that they love them. How? Not just by speaking the truth with our minds, but sharing the story in your soul. Because Jesus said, God said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And so we as a church culture, focus on the mind. And that is important. We need to know the truth. We need to speak the truth. But there's heart and mind. That's where our stories live. This is where our everyday life is lived out. And that's where we need to share with each other. We should not be alone. We shouldn't be isolated. And so that's why like, it's just a strong passion in my life um, to share honestly. Because once you do that, people are going to be drawn to you and they're going to be drawn to Christ. And that applies in marriage and also in parenting. For instance, before I went through the journey of healing with soul care, and I learned more about the importance of taking care of my soul and my emotions are important. When my kids had a problem in school, my, and it, it still happens. I mean, you know, I still have my natural imprinted tendency, you know, it's to tell them, look, here's the problem. Here's what you need to do. Kids one, two, three, four. Okay. If you understand, this is what you do. That'll help you solve your problem. Then you won't get upset or like, you know, you'll fix this situation at school or, you know, do your homework, whatever. And, you know, that actually doesn't help the child that's frustrated or having a bad moment or grouchy or whatever. It actually doesn't help them their soul. Okay. So before I just be like, cause that's the way I, I grew up because I had nobody to care for me. Right. Rachel. So I would tell myself, Bonnie, don't worry about how you feel. Just get it done. One, two, three, four. You know, the things we tell ourselves, that's what we end up telling our kids. So, but then I had to change my own script. 
So I'm like, okay, Bonnie, you need to take a break. You know what? That email is just not going to be written. That person is not happy with you, but right now you can't change it. You need to actually call up a friend, tell her you need to go out for Thai sometime this week. You need to have Thai <laughs> go out for dinner, you know, and before I just thought that was just more like social foo-foo stuff. But now I realize, no, that's what Jesus did. He spent time with Mary and Martha. He had meals with them. This is part of our soul care. So now I do that with my kids. If they've come home, something's off. Instead of kind of like calling them out on their attitude, I would say, hey, you know what? Um, let me get you some cookies. And there's teenagers, they still love it. I said, hey, I got the snack. Hey, so what's going on? How was your day? You know, rather than talking about their attitude, it's like, what are your classes? Like, um, do you have a lot of homework today? You know, how was soccer? You know, I just talk and converse and eventually something comes out, something happened, you know? Yeah. You know, and I noticed this when you were talking about your own story. Now I'm hearing it again with um, your children as, as a mother. And I think it's so important, especially as Christian women, because we feel like we always have to be joyful. We always have to be happy. We always have to keep the peace. But really, I think the real strength comes from sitting in some of the grief, sitting in some of the, the hard feelings and really working through them and being honest with God and others about them. And, and so that encourages me because I kind of am a stuffer. And, but what I realize is that stuff just continues to stay. It doesn't go anywhere. We're not erasing it. Like you said earlier, it's still there. And then we're, you know, five, 10, 15 years later, you're like, gosh, why am I still burdened and bothered by this? It's because I never dealt with it. So I, I want you to speak to kind of, as we're wrapping up, speak to the woman who, because we all have a past, you know, it's, it's different. Everybody's is different and we're all dealing with um, various things, but how would you uh, help the, the listener to make peace with her past? Is there kind of a I don't know. Is there a formula? Because we talked about, we want that healing to be fast, but I know that it isn't. Yeah. There, um, there's 28 chapters. (laughs) (laughs) And there's 28, 20 chapters. There's 28, um, 20 steps that I had to take on my journey. And, um, you know, these are really common for all of us, but I would say what you just said, um, about, you know, how we stuff our feelings is that we should not edit ourselves. Mm. Yeah, we should not edit ourselves. There's many, many points here, obviously, but we should not edit ourselves. So I'm going to read an excerpt here. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book. You will have, okay, this is, um, this is a scene where um, I'm talking about well, I, I think, okay, actually, I want to backtrack. The most important thing is that we need to prioritize our wellness and our well being. So every time you feel, you know, sometimes we might wake up in a fog and we don't know why. Maybe we responded a certain way to whether it's our spouse or our children or even to ourselves, just speaking very negatively to ourselves, being very critical. I think um, one really big turning point is to let ourselves know hey, that's really the Holy Spirit allowing our hearts to be honest and our bodies are telling us whether, oh gosh, why am I not able to fall asleep? You know, or are they kind of just brushing it off to the side? Like you said, we can't hold it off or God made our bodies connected to our emotions. He has like, God is very comfortable with our, um, 
you know, our emotions. And so one of the first things to do is to um, breathe, just to know it's okay. This is just, I'm being human. God wants this part of me. And so this is a really big invitation to prioritize yourself. Something that Becky and I, um, I shared with her, she said it really, really, um, really brought her big change. And she loves it. As I told her that uh, it, when Jesus says, look at the flowers, see how beautiful they are. Um, how much, don't worry, how much more valuable, precious are you than these? And um, I never bought flowers for myself. I don't know about you, but I love buying flowers for my friends. So if I know my friends are feeling down, I'm the kind of girl that will stop by Trader Joe's and I'll pick up some flowers for her and drop them off at her door. Or if I'm going to see her, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll dash in and, you know, get, get some flowers for her, but I never bought flowers for myself. You know, I felt they're kind of, you know, I don't want to use the money. I don't feel like it's very useful way. Like I can get cream cheese and a gallon of milk with that, you know, (laughs) with that money and this flower just sit there and then you know, a few days later, I just, you know, I'll have to take it out. So I, I really never saw any investment in flowers for myself. But when I read the verse, I was going through healing from anxiety and panic attacks. I was looking, trying to ask God, teach me how to take better care of myself. And I need two things. I need your word because I need permission. It can't just be like a self-help type, you know, treat yourself, you know, type of thing, you know, it needs to be, you know, from God's word. And then second, it needs to be something scientific. Like I, I'm an engineer. That's why I studied in college. I'm like, I need to know my, my analytical brain needs to know this is worth it. (laughs) And so, um, when I read that verse, it was new to me, you know, it's so beautiful how, like when we have a need, when we acknowledge it to God and we say, God, I, this is the area I want to learn. We could turn it into a growth, you know, just like that flower, um, analogy. We need to water our souls. And so God helped me see this new verse in a new light. And um, because I learned that in the research, there's women, they took women who put flowers in their kitchen. And it's the first thing they saw. They uh, measured their uh, stress hormones. It was lower during the day really? than women who did not have flowers in the kitchen. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? And it elevated their moods uh, higher. And so even if they, they got a little kerfuffled during the day, it's like somehow there's kind of like has like a buffer. It's like that seeing the beauty. So when Jesus said, look at the flowers, literally the way God created the retinas in our eyes, something about when you look at a flower, you feel happy, you feel peaceful, you feel beauty. And it's not just a feeling thing. It's actually connected to our bodies. Oh my gosh. I saw those flowers at Trader Joe's in a whole new light. Now, when I look at those flowers, I hear God's Jesus loving uh, whispers. Jesus says, you're worth it. I created these flowers only to last for a few days so that you would know that you are worth it. I painted every petal on here and I, I gave life those colors just to last a few days so that you are worth those few days of beauty. That's beautiful. I won't look at a flower the same anymore. And I think everybody listening, we're all going um, to go get flowers. We're all going to go get tea. And then we're all going to go get your book. <laughs> I can just see like this. Is, those are the three things, action steps we need to do today. Yes. So we need to hear a loving word from God about ourselves, not just for others, 
Remember, that's the soul part. The mind part is, for, and the heart, the heart is for others. We use our heart to serve others. So it's kind of the mind is the truth. We need the truth. We use our heart to love others, to take action. But there's the soul. That's soul care. That's when you take action for yourself. So this is the rhythm, whispers of rest rhythm. We need the word. We need to do something for others to serve others. That's the heart. But you need your soul. And the only way to feed your soul is you have to take better care of yourself. And, um, oh, yes, in fact, Oh, taking a walk, 10 minutes, research shows that taking a walk outside in nature lowers stress and releases serotonin and dopamine, which relaxes your body more than an hour at the gym. Wow. Okay. So that's our fourth action step. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then the T yes, the T okay. The, you'll love this action step. Um, there's a UCLA study that's a brain imaging study. They had participants look at pictures of negative emotions, people experiencing negative emotions, okay? Anger, sadness, worry, fear. And it was like in a video stream, you know? And they hooked their bodies up in biometrics. Their, their blood pressure went up, their heart rates spiked up, their pupils were dilated. Like these people were stressed. And that's like us and every day we have to deal with our children, we have to deal with a coworker in ministry. If you're serving, you have to deal with people that are in need. I mean, we're constantly watching people with negative emotions, especially during the pandemic. We, I mean, gosh, the news, everything we're reading. And we think we just absorb it. We think in our mind, we just know the truth and we're going to get through it. Oh my gosh, but why am I walking in the fog? Why am I exhausted? Why am I fatigued? It's not, it's not, it's not because we don't know the truth. It's because we have a soul. We need soul care. Now the useless study had them watch these same emotions again, a second time. The only difference is name the emotion, mm. label what you see. And guess what? Their bodies went back to rest. Their blood pressures went back down. Their heart rates went back to a restful place. Whew. They were not stressed anymore. Oh my gosh, that is powerful. So powerful. That is powerful. Yeah. So if you're feeling stressed and you're like, look, I don't need to call anybody. I know what I need to do. I just need to do this, this, that, that. Okay. Stop. We need to share our stories. We need to share what's going on. We need to share our emotions. There's a, two parts of our brain. One is called the amygdala. That's where our emotions are alive and they're connected to our bodies. Okay the heart rates up or anxiety or insomnia or whatever it is, the way your body reacts. And that's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. But there's another part of our brain. It's called the hippocampus. That's the archival memory storage. That's when you remember you were stressed, but you don't feel stressed. So in order to move from the emotional part of our brain, where something's stressing us out to the logical analytical part, there's two things we can do. One is journal. Research shows that just 10 minutes of journaling, not every day, once every few months, when something happens, if you take that moment to just say, I do dear Jesus, I go dear Jesus, and do, I do an emotion, I go, I'm really upset. And then the pen will start flowing. <laughs> or dear Jesus, I need you. And then the pen will start flowing. The other thing is you need to call a friend. Even if you can't speak to that moment, at that moment, you just text it, you say, I do this. I, go, I didn't do this before because I never wanted to be a burden to anybody. But now I do it for my mental health well-being. I say, hey, Michelle, I'm so stressed out today. I go, we need to talk later on this week. Okay. Like, like whenever it makes time, like, let's talk, let's call. Even that quick moment, it's helping us release the stress. 
That's very important. And then last is, you know, we can do breath prayers. Breathing and taking in oxygen helps oxygenate the mind. So breath prayer, you inhale, you say Jesus or God or Heavenly Father, exhale, and you just use three words. You express your feeling, I'm tired. Jesus, I'm tired. Or Jesus, help me write this email. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, or like, Jesus, help me you know, defrost this chicken, you know, yeah. sometimes you just take so much energy to stand in front of the kitchen, you know, we got to cook. So that's a breath prayer. Those are some tools there. Yeah. I love how practical you are. And so, you know, as, as we close, I ask all of my guests this question, how do you think we can best be love offerings? I think we can best be love offerings by sharing with others, the things that gives us joy sharing with others what gives us peace but here's the deal you first have to receive it yourself yes mm -hmm. and you've, you've given us so much good wisdom and insight on just how to do that um, i want to encourage listeners if, just to go get a copy of your book uh, just to find out you know the rest of the mystery the rest of the story but um but just to apply this to our own lives because we're all dealing with something um and and to share our stories so thank you so much for sharing yours this has been such a gift and um, i just pray for you and your ministry and and for all of us as as we have our own individual ministries and something that you say as we close it says that um, you want us to all realize that God uses our unique and broken stories to create a beautiful mosaic of his love one life at a time so I pray that over all of us today thank you so much Bonnie thank you Rachel Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Bonnie Gray. We hope that today helped you to realize that there is power in your story and your struggles and that they all matter, that there is beauty in your brokenness. This week, our love offering is to share with others what brings us joy and peace. Bonnie says we first have to receive it ourselves. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or Facebook. I would love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on the Love Offering Facebook community. There each week we dive in deeper into each podcast episode into the blog series and we encourage one another to live faithfully and love fully. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so more women can find this Love Offering message. If you have already done that, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for your encouragement. And thank you for being a love offering. It truly means the world to me. All of this information can be found at rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive the weekly love offering newsletter so you never miss an episode. You get to read the blog series. And there you can also see the resources that I have for you. There are a lot of great free resources, including the newest is a Mother's Day devotional. This is for mothers of every kind, whether you're a spiritual mother, a mother by fostering, a mother by adoption, a mother by surrogacy, or just maybe a godmother to some children in your life. We can all mother someone. And so I'm so excited to share this new resource. It's titled Lessons from Biblical Mothers, where a group of writers, we all look at mothers in the Bible and um, just see what they taught us through their lives, through their failures, through their successes, and to see what we can learn from them. I can't wait to share that free. Um, 
um, devotional with you all. And you can download that again at rachelkadams.com. Next week, my guest is Jessica Thompson. Jessica is the author of How God Loves Us. I can't wait to uh, chat with you again then. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love. Thank you.